Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Well, hello there, and you're very welcome to another Food and Wine podcast with me, Marie Robinson. Now, today we're talking about wine again, but this time the wine is pretty special and unique. We're talking about artisan wines with stories. Now, Wines with Stories is a company set up by Belfast native Cheryl Solomon and her husband, Thomas. They deal exclusively with authentic artisan wines that have provenance from small, single vineyard producers. So this is a very interesting conversation. Now, we're going to discuss some of these wines and the stories behind them. And I'm delighted that Cheryl is here to talk about this today. So you're very welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me. So let's start with you telling us your story. Where, when and how did Wines with Stories come about? Hi, Mairead. Lovely to be here and thank you for the invitation. Um, So our story, our own story from my husband and I started in Venice a beautiful romantic city. And I actually used to work in digital marketing and I had a client um, in the town of Vicenza, which is the jewellery capital of the universe. And I was doing all of their online marketing for them. And I went to Venice really every weekend that I would be there working in Vicenza. And one of those weekends, I happened to meet my husband in the hotel that I chose for the weekend on the Grand Canal. And he was um, in food and beverage management in luxury hotels in the Grand Canal, working there for over 20 years. So um, we got on like a house on fire that weekend. And the next time I came out, we met up again and things progressed. And a year after that, we were married on a lovely boat on the Grand Canal with all our friends and family. It was a whirlwind romance. And uh, then we lived amongst sort of about 30 minutes from Venice by train or car um, towards Treviso. So we're 30 minutes between Treviso and Venice in uh, a villa there surrounded by all the beautiful small producers that we came to know and love. Um, Now, my background in wine before that, I was very much a foodie and I had a very good friend who was at the time the biggest wine buyer in the world. Unfortunately, he's left us now. We lost him five years ago to cancer, but um, he was working for Diageo and he was French and he he was the head of Guinness in Northern Ireland. And um, I traveled around the world with him and his wife. We'd had a wonderful trip in the wine route in South Africa and the South African Wine Authority threw out the red carpet for him because he was so important in the wine world. Um, so I had an exposure to wine and, you know, he taught me a lot before I even went to Italy. But of course, being surrounded by all of these beautiful small producers, we got to know a lot more. And we were used to going out of an evening and tasting wonderful Prosecco. Everyone has an aperitivo before dinner. And then the wines, you know, cost very little, but they were produced by small producers who cared for the land and the planet. So there's this sustainability aspect to that. And even our neighbours owned a winery. So um, they were very, very small and they decided to sell their their grapes to the cooperative and the cooperative rather than them producing by hand which they always have done sent in the large machine and my neighbor was really shocked when she saw the height and size of this machine coming through her cantina it was you know dwarfed the house and then it went into her fields and um, her husband Perdante asked us afterwards to go in and take photographs for him of all the damage done to the the vines and the land because it really really for the following years his vines were never the same 
So they decided to stop selling to the cooperative. And now these days they just produce by hand completely. And obviously you can imagine it's like opening an apple. You see all that oxidation inside the apple very quickly once it's open. It's the same with grapes. There's a lot of damage to the grapes. It cuts up the grapes and it damages the vines for future years. So we saw all, all of that close up. And then when we came back to see friends and family here, we were very aware of the different quality of the wine because the export market seemed to be absolutely flooded with industrial quality wines, commercial production. And a lot of these, you know, can be smoke and mirrors. Very often it could be a a wholesaler in the south of England who has rented um, a bottling plant in the north of Italy, brought bought in bulk wine, created a brand out of thin air and suddenly created this new wine that everyone buys off the shelf because it has a very attractive label which is usually the motivation for a lot of wine choices but these commercial wines tend to be propped up with sulfites and chemicals you know to give them longevity and because they have to travel and to cover bad winemaking frankly you know because there's no quality of wine when you're buying in bulk and you don't know what quality is is um happening between one supplier to another of these grapes so there's hardly a winemaker anywhere near it. So there's, there's a big difference between that and small artisan production. And I always liken artisan production to being like a hand knit sweater or, you know, a, a limited edition piece of art. It's exactly the same idea. So a lot of love and attention goes into it. It's all produced by hand and no chemicals or, or sulfites are added. Of course, sulfites will always occur naturally in any wine, which is why on every bottle of wine on the label, you will see contains sulfites. Yes. That's naturally occurring. In fact, if you buy a packet of apricots in the local shop, it will contain more, more sulfites than a wine that doesn't have sulfites added. So we always have sulfites in, in natural products. Right. Well, oh, there's loads of things I want to ask you now. First of all, winding back a bit, Thomas, your husband, is he from Belfast also? Is he Italian or? Where's no, he he's not. Ita- he's not Italian. He lived in Italy for 25 years. Yes. Um, but he is originally Nubian, Egyptian. Oh, right. So okay. The Nubians come from Aswan and they were previously the, the Black Kings on the Nile. Um, so he worked in hospitality there and he opened the Marriott Hotel on the Nile and, you know, worked as a, a project manager for a, a number of hotel openings. But then he also worked as food and beverage manager on the Nile cruises as well. All right. So so now that you have wines with stories and I know you export throughout Ireland and the UK, um, you're based in Belfast, both of you, obviously. That's right. Uh, but you also have an office in Dublin. Do you know one thing I must say, uh, what I was impressed with your website is that it's very easy on the side. You click whether you want the prices in euro or sterling. So people can be very clear. Because sometimes if people want to buy from a website that they think is maybe not an Irish website, they have to work out taxes and charges and all of that. But it's very easy for people in Ireland to, uh, to navigate your website and to find wines and to order them and have them delivered. Yes, that's right. And we also sell through Amazon and through Vivino, which is the app with 40 million wine lovers on it. So we're a merchant on those sites and also wine buyers sites as well. Sorry, I was just thinking when you were talking about the poor poor, uh, farmer whose vines were crushed in the ground by the big machine. How did you convince these winemakers to, to go with you? I assume they hadn't exported out of Italy before. So this a lot is, of most of the ones them. that we yeah most of the ones that we deal with have never exported before. They've yes. wanted to, but it's really a challenge for them to find a route to market. Everyone's trying to find representation and wholesalers. Exactly. So you know 
they, they would absolutely jump at the chance. And ultimately, we want this to be, you know, for the winemakers to have a sense of ownership yes. in this project. We're in the middle of an investment raise at the moment to raise a lot of money to scale this throughout Europe and then ultimately America to give them more opportunities. And we would foresee having a pool of uh, shares allocated to the wineries so that also they will be able to log into their dashboard on our, our website. So the wineries have ownership. They can see what their stock levels are, what payments they've got coming up, their invoicing, all of the details on how they're doing compared to other wineries. Um, so we wanted them to very much have a sense of ownership in this because it is a sort of a marketplace for them. That's excellent. That's so completely different to just, um, you know, sending, you know, selling bulk wines to, to a you know, a bulk winery where you yes, know, your exactly. grapes get mixed in with so many others. Excellent. Now, I have a glass here of a wine that you sent me, which is called Bosco Bruno Pinot Nero, um, which is absolutely gorgeous. Now, I'm a big fan of Pinot Noir, as are most people, but maybe a lot of people are not real, don't really realize that uh, Pinot Noir is grown, uh, the Pinot Noir grape which is obviously the French name, um, is grown quite widely in Italy as well, obviously under the name Pinot, Pinot Nero. Um, yes. It's absolutely gorgeous. I can't get over the colour and the flavour, and it's beautiful. Will you tell me a little bit about this as I take another sip? Yes. Well, firstly, if you look at it in the glass, it's a lovely uh, bold brick red colour, which comes from the ageing because it has about eight to ten months in French oak barrels. And then it gets another 12 months in the bottle before being released. So you've got the 2018 vintage there. Yes. So it's had a wee bit of aging on it. And you can see that in the color. And also if you give it a little, we always say swirly, swirly, swirly. Yes. And then sniffy, sniffy, sniffy. Yes. And then slurpy, sorry, sniffy, sniffy, sniffy. And then slurpy, slurpy, slurpy. So it's easier for people to remember the three steps to tasting the yeah. wine. So first of all, you look at the color and then you swirl it around in your glass and have a good look. And what they used to call legs these days, sommelier tend to refer to as viscosity. So you'll see that lovely clinging to your, your glass there. Yes. The way it's off, it is lovely viscosity and body. And yeah. you can see the body in it there. So it opens up on the nose if you have a sniffy, sniffy, sniffy. Very much so. Very with much so. With strawberries and raspberry that typically comes from the Pinot Noir grape, Pinot Nero in this case, same thing. Um, and you also get some spice with like clove. Mm. Um, I, I think it's wonderful. I, sorry, sorry. I, I, I think it's wonderful. Much as I love the, the 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 Pinot Noir grape, the younger one is one that we'd often uh, order if we wanted a red wine with a fish dish in a restaurant, for example. Yes. But one that's aged uh, a few years, like this one, the one I have, the twenty eighteen, it's just got that extra depth to it, hasn't it? It just it's it's a more grown up wine. It has. It, it wouldn't be as light as the kind of German Pinot Noir. They yeah. would tend to be lighter in the cooler climate. Um, this one's slightly more full bodied, but it works then in winter as well yeah. as in summer. If you have it slightly chilled, it will work very well in summer as well. So once you, you taste that red, you'll then get it. You'll see that it's very smooth. The tannins have been smoothed out by the barrel aging. It's velvety soft mouthfeel. So it's lovely and dry as well, but lovely fresh acidity. So you're getting those raspberry notes as well yeah. through the, the Pinot Noir on the palate, but you're getting vanilla coming from the, the barrel aging too. Lovely vanilla and cocoa chocolate 
notes. It's a gorgeous cards. wine. Yeah, and as you say, it's dry, it's fresh, it's fruity, uh, yeah. and it, it has a it has a character and depth to it, which is absolutely gorgeous. That would be I could I can't see many people not um not really really enjoying that. I mean that is a a really a really smooth beautiful wine. It is, and if you do buy it, I would recommend that you open it for a couple of hours before drinking it. Yes, it, it is a big wine, so you need to let it open up a little bit. Exactly, which we don't often do with Pinot Noir, sure we don't. But I was looking at this yeah. bottle today before I was talking to you, so I did. I opened it up just over an hour ago, and I leave it sitting there while we chat, and I'll finish it up then. Travelling with Expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat. When booking journeys at expressway.ie, make sure to select seat-only reservation free travel scheme and pay just €2 Euro per trip to guarantee your seat. Bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance. Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Tell me some more of the stories. I want to know like the family stories, the interesting stories behind some of the wineries. I know you have a lot of, of interesting wineries in Italy, obviously, and but you have outside of Italy also, we'll talk about in a moment. I'm so fascinated by the Italian ones because many people just think of Pinot Grigio or Chianti, or they don't realise that there are amazing grapes, amazing producers throughout Italy. Now, you've got two that jumped out of me was Altoris and Anselmi. They're two different um, brands that you are dealing with that seem to have exceptionally good wines. Would you tell me maybe the stories behind them? Sure. Um, well, first of all, Anselmi, um, it's quite a big story in Italy. He is probably the most iconic white wine producer in Italy. He produces four white wines. Uh, well, one of those is a Pasito, a dessert wine. And then the only red that he produces is a Cabernet Sauvignon, which is particularly designed to age for 30 years. It's the, his Rialda. Uh -huh. And I've tasted a 30-year old one I'll come to that in a moment but his story um, he's called Roberto Anselmi and it's now on the third generation with his daughter Lisa and his his son is in the business as well but Roberto himself his father had been running the business in there in Monteforte which is in the Suave region of Italy so they're quite near uh, Lake Garda and, and near Verona so um, his father had been running the winery and in the Suave Dock, which is the appellation that's not particularly well known for very high quality wines. So he had 
in his uh, gap year from university, decided to tour the world, have a gap year out and go and see how wines were produced in other parts of the world. So he traveled South Africa, America, all over Europe. And he came back with big ideas of producing really high quality wines. And he started the process of lobbying the consortium. Um, but actually, first the first part of that story is he came back and to his horror, he found that his father had sold off all the lands and become a large commercial bottling plant. So at that stage, which is 30 years ago now, when I first met him, it was 30 years ago, um, he threw his father out of the business and he bought back all the lands and the best lands in Monteforte. Oh, <laughs> and they're all crew, crew vineyards in the hills. So the names on them like Capital Croce and Capital Foscarino and E Capitelli, which is the Pasito, these are all little chapels that they have. You've probably seen them driving through Italy, little chapels at the side of the road. And they have one on each of these crew vineyards, which are only about one and a half hectares in size, but on the hills and the best slopes south facing. And so he bought them all back and he had big plans to make these beautiful, high quality wines. So he started to um, lobby the consortium for Suave. And he tried and tried and tried and tried to get other winemakers on his side. The likes of Piero Pan did this the same thing. Um, so he got a letter back from the consortium and it said they would allow a redu reduction in yield of between one and two percent, which was nothing. You know, the yield is too high to make high quality wines. So he threw his teddy out of the pram and he divorced from the Suave doc. He took Suave off all his labels. And Suave was considered to be a great marketing vehicle. So that was a big leap of faith for him to do that. Indeed. And um, he then started to produce his own blends. So he had the freedom to be able to put whatever he wanted in the blends and to create whatever style of wines he want and wanted with very low yields. He only has about three bunches of grapes per vine. And those vines, we were there during harvest time one year, and they pick those all by hand into small baskets. And they immediately go into his nitrogen press, up a little conveyor built into the nitrogen press. So that excludes any oxygen from that point on, no oxygen touches those grapes. So he is very technologically advanced winery, even though he's very small. He has invested a lot in the technology. He's also known as a bit of a rebel, an iconic rebel, and he would never go to any of the wine fairs where all of the commercial um, wine wholesalers would go to, to find suppliers. Um, so there was one time, uh, for, it was reported in the press about a South African importer who wanted to meet him and he wouldn't attend the Vinitaly show to go and meet him but he said look I'll meet you outside uh, door x okay so he was expecting to walk out and find Roberto there but when he walked out he found Roberto there in his helicopter yeah. I, believe <laughs> he flies, to fly him. I believe he flies his own helicopter he has two helicopters, which he flies and his daughter flies as well. Yes. And they fly all over, you know, to shows. There are shows in Switzerland and shows in Austria. They will go and fly in the helicopter to those. And in fact, he took us to a, a wonderful meal one night in a two Michelin star restaurant called La Pecca in Vicenza. And he that's when we tried the 30-year-old Rialda because the sommelier and he found they had a 1983. Wow. Vintage. Yeah, their wine list was like a Bible, but they had the 1983 and Roberto himself had never tasted the 1983. So he and the sommelier were frantically trying to open it up in this very convoluted decanter. And they had a piece of metal rod put into it. It was a bit like a minor rod operation, you know, and they're they're working away at this to sort of give birth to this wine after 30 years. And I have to say it was just amazing. It was mind blowing. Was really? it was like, 
it was like a fine French burgundy, even though it was, you know, 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. It was just stunning. And then we had his capitelli for dessert with these beautiful ravioli, which were stuffed with pumpkin, but then in a sort of orange sauce with orange zest, caramelized. And it was, I put it in my mouth and I said, Roberto, what have you done? This was incredible. Amazing. I've never actually since put anything quite so incredible in my mouth. Yeah, as this, and it, it appears in a book called A Thousand and One Wines to Try Before You Die. Really? And it absolutely deserves its position there. And then he has. He's obviously quite an amazing uh, character, um, as you said, with the, with, the, with the helicopter. And he also uh, drives around in, in, in his own motorbike, doesn't he, as well? He does, indeed. <laughs> yes. Getting back to the wine, what's really interesting is he obviously he's not just a you know, a character. He's obviously um, a genius winemaker because I believe his wines are stocked in some top Michelin restaurants, not only in, in Italy, but also like in the UK and the US. Absolutely. All around the world, the top restaurants like Long Clume, which is yeah. two Michelin star. Yeah, his, his wines are there. And his um, youngest wine is San Vincenzo. Now, the grapes, the grape that runs through all of them in the blends is Garganica, which is the typical um, Suave grape. There's, yes. you know, there are other, other grapes in that region, too. But Garganica is the one that he bases his on. But San Vincenzo also has 30 percent. 70% organica, 30%, which is mostly Sauvignon and a splash of Chardonnay. So it's quite a blend. But what you get coming out of it mostly is the Sauvignon. So this would be like almost, if you could imagine the best New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc without the, the gooseberries and without the, um, the kind of heartburn effect that you sometimes get from that. That's what San Vincenzo is, but it's very fleshy and full of character. It's amazing. And that would be his biggest volume wine that he produces. And then he has two crew wines, which are barrel aged. One is called Capital Croce. And it's just like, it's like a white burgundy and it's just really buttery and absolutely beautiful. And it is um, Garganica 100%. And then he has Capital Foscarino, which is really made for Chardonnay lovers because he has the 75% Garganica, but with Chardonnay instead of the Sauvignon. And it is lees aged rather than barrel aged. And then he has the Pasito, which is just mind blowing. It's pure mango, passion fruit, ripe guava. It's just incredible. And then the Rialdo. I, I have to say, uh, yeah, they are amazing wines because I have, I have, um, managed to taste some of them great stories and great wines and in fairness i think what's very interesting for people is that they can actually buy and taste these wines and they're not um exceptionally highly priced they're not exceptionally expensive i was looking no, at the website what i'm trying to say is excellent wines and very very affordable which i think is yes. excellent and in fact his wines appear in jancis robinson's large um World Atlas Guide to Wine. And yeah. on the Suave page, you'll see his labels and she refers to him as his wines as being um, equal to their peers in white burgundy at a fraction of the price. And and the other the other winery I wanted to ask you about was Altoris, because I think I heard that they're, and, and again, extremely well priced on your website, but their Cabernet Sauvignon was, um, was, um, has been listed as the third best Cab Sav in the world. Uh, in Italy, actually, there's um, a guide writer called Luca Maroni, who's very famous in Italy, and he writes the guide to the best Emiliori Vini Italiani. Um, so he has judged it three years in a row at 96 points out of 100 and to be the third best red wine of Italy. Wow, that's so amazing, isn't it? 
all their wines, I mean, they have 80% white wines because where they're located is in Friuli Venezia in the very far north uh, northeast of Italy on the border of Slovenia and Austria. So they are in the borderlands and they're way up high in the Julian Alps. And it's <clears throat> 80% of the white wines because this is white wine heaven in Italy and they're all native grapes. The like of, likes of Ribola Gialla, Frulano, Traminer, just incredible white wines that we don't normally see here. And the Ribola Gialla, especially, it's one of my favorites. But this vineyard is run by two brothers called Marco and Massimo Zorzetic. And it is a beautiful place to visit if you get a chance to go. They have a wonderful restaurant. And their mama, who is, um, she's, you know, they call it a casalinga, where the housewife actually cooks the food and she cooks cucina povera, all the traditional dishes that Italians would have had during the war when they had no protein and stuff like that. She recreates all these dishes that are local with everything in season. And she pairs those dishes with the wines. So it's just wonderful to go there and have a meal and you'll get a tour of the winery as well. Excellent. Yeah, well, I must put that on my to-do list because when I think of all the wine trips that I've done to France and Spain and, and, and Portugal and Germany and Austria, and I actually have done very little in Italy. So you've inspired me now to, 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 to change that. But um, although they're mostly Italian wines, obviously because you're very familiar with them, you are now also stocking wines from other countries as well. I think you have South African wine as well, haven't you? We do a very, very small boutique producer in Parle, Northern Parle, and he's actually Belgian, but he moved out to South Africa and he bought the winery off someone else, but he has made it you know, completely sustainable. He only produces five reds at the moment, which are all exceptional reds, like his Tempranillo, which won the best Tempranillo in South Africa. His Grenache would be my favorite one. And I think I've sent that to you before. It's very Pinot Noir-esque. Mm. Instead of being quite heavy bodied as a Grenache would be, it's really, really ethereal and a lot of vanilla in it. It's just my style. So I absolutely love that one. So it, it took about nine weeks to get our first shipment from him on by boat. And then so after that... Sorry, so all the wines that, that you bring in, they're all exclusive to Wines with Stories, are they? People can't buy them in other, uh, from other importers. No, they typically haven't, haven't exported before, and that was his first um, opportunity at exporting. So ultimately, once we get the, the investment on board and we grow this to scale, these small producers will be supplying all of it to us because they won't have enough. I mean, we're even facing that um situation with Alturas at the moment we yeah. just received their price list for this year and about six of the wines are completely sold out already and we have to wait for that wonderful um third best red wine of Italy to be rebottled from the, from the um casks at the moment so yeah. the next vintage is being prepared they've sold out of the existing vintage so we just have to wait and that's that's actually a good sign because you know these are authentic wines with provenance from small producers when they do run out yes indeed you know, yes, indeed. You know they're not they're no, they're, you know they're not produced at scale no it sounds excellent um i could talk for ages you're obviously very passionate about the wine but um it's very um it's very interesting and, and, and it's very inviting for people to, to, to get the stories behind the wine and to, um, to realise that you're talking authentic artisan wines rather than the mass-produced ones, that people can actually enjoy these wines, find out the stories and, and buy them at very reasonable prices. I'm coming back to the money again. I'm just, I just think I would have thought some of those wines would have been more expensive. So I was very, very impressed by that. So anyway, before we finish up, um, 
what do you do in your spare time? You come across as a very hardworking woman, very passionate about wine. Uh, besides wine and doing wine tastings and importing wines, what else do you do with yourself? Well, Thomas and I both like to cook. So we're always, you know, going and, and shopping for lovely uh, produce and coming up with new recipes and <clears throat> looking at things that even pair with the wine. So we created a recipe to go with the Anselmi San Vincenzo, which you'll find on our website. We have a lot more work to do on that side of the content. So we want to add more, more recipes that we create to go yes. with the wine. Um, but my other big passion is animals. And uh, I just got two rescue kittens from Cats Protection there. So that's keeping me busy, <laughs> very busy. <laughs> it's interesting you say that yourself and Thomas like cooking. I mean, obviously the food and wine is a marriage made in heaven. And uh, it's really interesting that you uh, would be, you know, producing recipes and, and, and meals that complement specifically the wine. So you'll be putting a lot of those up on the website as well. Yes, you'll find one one or two there, I think, at the moment, but we need to develop that side of things, yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, it's been really great talking to you. I'm going to um, finish my lovely glass of Pinot Nero now, and I, um, I will be writing about your wines in the next uh, wine column in Senior Times magazine, so I'll go into some of them in more depth. But it's really lovely to speak to you, and thank you so much for coming along with um, the stories behind some of your lovely wines. Thank you very much, Mairead. Lovely to be you, here. Sarah. Thank you. Hope bye to bye. See you again. Cheers. Bye bye. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.